The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 23, Bible Revisions, January 25th, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, and of course, all you Star Trek historians, but hey, Canonistas, I say that with love. All you, <laughs> all you tech heads, hey, we love you all. And today we're gonna, we're gonna want all of you in the audience for this one. You're gonna want to hear this one. We are back now. We are gonna tackle the early next generation days, and by the early days, I mean that the think tank year, right before, before the pilot was shot, even much less the premiere. We've got a wonderful memo, which, as usual, is right there on our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/the-trek-files. Check that out. Now, meanwhile. Here's an audio sample. You'll get a hint of what we're going to attack today. But you want to stick around. Hang on, because I'll be right back with today's special guest. In our last discussion, we agreed that Picard, Riker, and Data would occupy the three central chairs of the five we're planning for the conference area below the ramp, thus leaving the other two chairs for whomever. We have to wonder, therefore, where do Troy, Macha, and Jordy hang out? I know you feel that Troy, a psychologist, doesn't need to be on the bridge, but I'm finding that she, as well as Macha and Jordy, needs to be present for dramatic reasons such as face-to-face scenes and the delivering of information which we can't wait upon. Having most of our regulars on the bridge worked well for us in the original series, and after starting to write a story, I found that the same dramatic constraints apply to the new show as well. There you go. There you go. Truck a file spell with a, with an F. You're wondering what do you? Who's Matcha? What what is this? Uh, what uh, data is in the central horseshoe? What look? Take a take a gander. If you can't see it, I'll tell you. This we're talking January twenty fifth, nineteen eighty seven. There's barely been about three months of work put into infant next generation the pilot filming much less the casting was still four or five months away the premiere would be that fall so yes we're in the early days of hashing out of conceptualizing what the next generation would be and if you can see the document you'll see we've got Riker with a Y (laughs) so this is an example of the details and you know what next generation is perhaps the the best documented well the original series too but the next generation was the first Star Trek to Congratulations, you're a sequel, you're a comeback show, and I'm so sorry, you're a comeback show. Now, what do you do? What do you keep? What do you make exactly the same, but what do you have to make different? What's what's changed in the 20 years since the original? Um, it's, it's the age-old question for anyone doing a, a comeback or a reboot or a sequel, but it's especially true for Star Trek because it's under such a microscope. And, you know... I, I know several veterans of this situation who have had to look at how do we make it exactly the same, only totally different. And I'm so glad to have him actually back with us today. Dave Blass, who is the production designer on Picard Season 2 and Season 3, uh, is with us today. Dave, thanks so much for coming back, and I was hoping this would strike a chord with you. Oh, a chord. Pain. Where's the, I need a shot of tequila. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's an ongoing thing, and, and it's 
but it's also it's a wonderful thing things to read and for fans to see that this is an ongoing discussion that fans have that uh, the creatives have had for for decades and it's not something that's you know canon and been solved it's all in the works and as you're going through the creative process you you go left or right and you know sometimes it's a good decision sometimes it's not when you're trying to figure it out to build the series to build the thing you're not it's unlike a movie where you're designing for whatever what's written on the page uh for when you're designing a tv show you're writing for all possibilities and that's mm-hmm. the really the the challenge with with writing and, just, and designing. including the things no one's even thought of yet or something right. maybe in the old school where it was three four years down the road and you hadn't yeah. got there yet uh you know and, and you and then you get there and then you're like oh well we're gonna have to solve that problem somehow and then you wing it but it's like you're sitting there going how do i create the situation that's going to give me the most flexibility that will allow me to do what I need to do, allow me to do adapt to different things, but also, most importantly, make it interesting. Because the uh, the least interesting thing is a spaceship that flies itself. If everyone's just sitting on the bridge doing this, it's boring. And um, if the captain is just sitting there, he, you know, it's like, you know, it's it's inevitably Kirk would be sitting in his chair. Just imagine if his chair didn't swivel. It's like all those dramatic moments of. And you know, and then, and then we had so many times on 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 card where you know they wanted to figure out like how to shoot the scene, and they're like, oh, but we can't just always be looking at the back of his head. You know, he's looking at the console over here, and mm-hmm. you know, then we're, we're gonna how do we put a camera there? I go, but we don't. And they're like, well, but how do we do it? I go, you do that shot where Spock's turning away, and then he dramatically turns back away from the console <laughs> to deliver his line, like. Uh, you know, stop you, over here. You, you yeah. podcast audience are missing Dave yeah. dramatically acting all of these moments out. But you know, you know in your mind's eye. But yes, it's it. You have to kind of sit there and figure out how to do it. But when you're designing a brand new starship, exactly what's in this memo, it's like they're going from what they created in the TOS era, and now they're trying to update it. They're trying to update the technology. What is you know? How would this work? What, why would it work? Who does what? Who does where? And inevitably you're sitting, you know, you, they're sitting in a meeting and someone's like, well, you know, wait, there's, where does Sulu sit? Where does Chekhov? What, what, oh, wait, that guy does, he got automated out of a job. It's like, you know, why, you know, and the whole idea of counseling and this, and you have so many times where you're like, going, we're not designing this ship for this show, this thing, we're designing for the future. So if you notice, uh, uh, ooh, Spoiler uh, for all those who haven't seen uh, season two of Picard. If you notice, the Stargazer has three command chairs, just like the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, oh, okay, the Enterprise D had three command chairs. Who sits in the, in the third chair? Because we're like, well, the counselor will sit there when we get to the point where we have the counselor in the thing, and then right. and we just never got there. And it's like, oh, okay. So, but you know, it's, it's that whole idea of like, well, but we went back and forth and had the conversations of like, are there are two chairs. Are is there one chair? Are they on the mm-hmm. same level? Do we, do we have a console in front of them so that the captain is doing this? Do we want to have? And then who is the captain? You know, it's like we had Rios, and it's like, okay, well, who's the first officer? Now you're talking about you're talking about these questions and conversations with Picard 
this is not the writer's room. This is the kind of conversation that the the, the design staff that you and, and your staff are having with the writers, right? It's well, a bigger. It's a bigger. Right? It's a it's a bigger thing because they're they're trying to figure out the the dynamic of the show, and the in in this instance, the first pilot of season two, where you introduce this new ship and do all this stuff. But then you know you just get into all the logistics of well, where you know where are the communications and where is this and. I'm, you know, and they're writing a story where they need to have Gerardi do this thing where she goes and she takes over the communications because she's better. But, okay, where does that happen? And, and can't she just do that from... And then they get into the whole thing. It's like, well, what a hologram. I'm like, not a hologram. Um, uh, <laughs> so, we, you know, it's that thing of going, how do we, how do, we do what we want to do? And then how do we do it sense? So that when we then come back to the ship or any ship, that there's some continuity of how things work on a dark as perfect. Right, so. right. Which is amazing because after 50 years, we all think we know. In our mind's eye, we all know, you know, there's a captain's chair in the middle and there's consoles around and there's probably a view screen or a hollow screen up front. I, I would and think, and that, you know, yeah. there's like basics, but then like still, okay, thank you for those first five details. Now I have five million more. Well, I think that, you know, you're looking at the next generation, I think that it is lost on most people that. Wesley flies and shit. It's like, um, no, mm -hmm. Data flies. Shit. You're like, no, 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 he's Data. And you're like, wait, so what is Data doing that the teenager's flying the ship? No, like, well, they should pretty much fly it. But you get into that thing, and it's like people don't really know. And it's like, you know, and Data is the ops manager. That's yeah. what he is. And yeah. he's, he's managing this and that. And then, you know, and Jordy's on the bridge, and then he's. You're like, wow, he's multitasked. Um, and then at some point, you know, Troy Troy's the counselor, but at some point she then was flying the ship. Uh, so right. again, it's it's one of those things that you know you have to go for the for the dramatics and how do you you know how do you make the situation the most dramatic thing um, possible and also then have it make sense. Well, the yes, and what's we look at this document this week from '87. They're not only and, and look at who it's from. It's from Bob Justman, not Herman yet. I think they've got Herman on board. What's interesting is the think tank of just conceptualizing started out in October. Just the four, just uh, David Gerald and Gene and and Bob and uh, Dorothy Fontana very soon and Eddie Milkus, who was there for the pilot. But there's no art staff starting to until you know Andy Probert comes in in December, and I think they hired Herman and and Mike Akuda. Mm -hmm. And Rick Sternbach, and then Herman, as there, it's it's like the underlings were hired first, and then Herman was about a month later. But they're you know they're conceptualizing along with that, but they don't have the characters down. This is so early on. Yeah. That's a that's a challenge. At least in when you were doing Picard, they kind of knew who was coming over to the ship, but maybe we're adding some new dimensions to them we didn't see the first season. But they're, they're conceptual, you know, like, we don't even know how to spell them. We don't, you know, we still have Macha Hernandez here, for those who don't know, before it became Tasha Yar through the casting. Uh, we don't know how to spell. We don't know what we're calling people. They're just still thinking of Troy as a psychologist. They don't, you know. So you're dealing, you're trying to, eventually, those art people are trying to design conceptualize before the characters are even i mean you're doing oh, yeah. both at the same time and it's crazy yeah and you and 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 again that challenge doesn't change i mean it's like you're sitting there going and you know going into this season two we know that rios is now the captain of these of this new ship okay and who else is on the ship 
Well, it's not seven because she's off doing the last race. So you're like, you got Rios, and then Gerardi is on a mission. She just happens to be there, but she's not part of that crew. So he's really the only member of the crew who is a, a is a known cast member. And that because of the scenario that we run into, uh, he's really the only only one that we ever get to know because you know we quickly go into a, a situation where you know they run into the, this board ship and it's you know right. now what are we going to do? And the fascinating thing is that you end up in the uh, observation lounge with all of these people, and Rios is the only one from the ship. So it's like there's no first, there is no right, there's no science officer. There's no, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, they, you're sitting there going, there's too much time to introduce all these people and make them a thing. We just have to kind of roll with it. And that's the struggles that they're facing is like, we want, uh, and I think Gene says in the thing, we want our, um, our main people on the bridge the most of the time. And then we all, you know, as we find in our show, it's like, you do until you then have to pay every actor to be there. And then, and then mm -hmm. that becomes a whole thing as well. You're like, oh, wait, we got 15 people on the set at all times, and we got to do coverage. Otherwise, you know, this person is sitting off in the corner not doing anything. That's what happened with uh, Denise Crosby. She's like there all the time. I was going to say. Yeah. Yes. And, and the same thing with uh, Michelle Nichols. It's like they're, she's there all the time, just not getting used. And, uh, and then, you know, nowadays it comes with a bigger price tag. So, it's that that thing of going, and it says again in the uh, in the in the note. It's like, well, we don't want to have a day player be the guy flying the ship. It's like, you know, it should be Wesley or this or that. So it's always a, it, it's a, it's a struggle to do the thing and to find uh, meaning and all and all those things because it would, no matter what you do, you're gonna find you find yourself doing something wrong, and you and you didn't build an adapting thing. You've designed a uh, a beautiful starship with all these great chairs, and all of a sudden, someone writes an episode <laughs> where, oh, we bring in a, a, a an admiral who's in a wheelchair, and he's going to park himself in the back row of the horseshoe. And what are you going to do then, huh? And all of a sudden, miraculously, a chair disappears. And, you know, and it's like, well, you know, you, you adapt to it as you as you go. Right. Well, again, we're looking at this memo from the standpoint of history, and we know what's going to come. And we, it's interesting to see them evolving. And some of the things that weren't taken, I, I, this, this popped up here. So they're worried about Jordy having enough to do, and this is way before he's the chief engineer. He's, he is, he's the one flying the ship in yeah. the first season. Um, and they're saying, well, maybe we could round him out. We're worried about him having enough to do. He can be the ship's ombudsman. And Troy could do it, but let's, just, let's give it... Well, that is exactly what Troy wound up being. She would always speak for, the crew is feeling this, the crew is that. But poor Beverly, back in the day when she was barely... Wesley's mom, and this is early, this changes quickly, but well, she comes in and out and gives us medical. <laughs> but it's, it's looking at this from the standpoint of history, um, it's, it's fun to look at that. But this is even before the art staff is really on board and contributing. And this is just producer Bob Justman talking to Gene. Um, did you have, and th that became an ongoing, you know, and you mentioned it. They wanted Gene originally, Guru Gene wanted future humans just to be sitting around in a, in a think tank and have the ship fly itself, which you said is not very dramatic. Yeah. And eventually, I think they, they talked reason. <laughs> the dramatic needs of the show, we still had to have some people pushing some buttons sometime. But did you have a like moment as, even as season two happened, where... It was not just the writer's room making these decisions, but the production you guys are sitting down. It sounds like you did. Oh, like, yeah. Did you have, I, and uh, I think that you know, every show will have them. 
Um, as I said, you know, it was the idea of, well, how many chairs do you have and who's sitting in what, what chair? And then, and, you know, it's like we have the cotton ops and is, you know, is every, is everything this, still the same way? And we created, uh, working with Mike Akuda, a new updated um, LCARS interface because obviously when they were doing that the series, the whole idea was, oh, we're going to create this interface that doesn't move, doesn't flash, doesn't whatever, because we can't really do that and it's going to be cost effective. But it's more evolved that the ship's flying itself and it would do all these stuff, things. But then we have, you know, we have to actually regress because they want flashy lighty things. They want projection. They mm-hmm. want to do, but it's like, how do you do all these things and who sits where and how many people sit there and and um, and then we, you know, I had a, a meeting with Alex Kurtzman and he's like, oh, I want like a screen or something in the foreground that we can move through. And then I'm over like, oh, okay. And it's like, you know, so the, the foreground element. I'm like, okay. I don't know what that is, and I don't know a thing, but we're going to figure it out and make it make sense, uh, which we did. And I think that he had an idea of great visual storytelling, and then he's like, "Yeah, you got to figure out the tech." We did, and we created these standing monitors with the uh, transparent screens that you could move around mm-hmm. and tweak it and whatnot. But uh, you know, it, it just who does what was always a, a a thing, and especially on a show like Star Trek, uh, it becomes more heightened because people don't understand the complexities of it until you're standing there and you have the actor sit down in place and go, okay, uh, how do I fly the ship? And I, you know, luckily I had a, uh, we were, as we were doing the show, I had the, the gift uh, to have Brent in season two. And I just kind of like fanboyed up to him. Like, how do you do that? How do you figure it out? Did you, did someone tell you? And then he walked me through the whole, process and he knew how you know how to do things and and um and that he would figure it out and that it, it, you know but but also it evolved depending on what person was sitting there the right. system would adapt to that person which gave them a little bit more freedom but uh then we had uh will wheaton and he did a uh he was on the show and i asked him the same question he goes oh no i could if, if you showed me walk me out of that right i could do the same thing right now because i remember how i did it. i remember how it did time to do the thing and that was my system and there was no but you know it's how do you do it but you know all of a sudden a bunch of actors show up at you know 7 a.m on a monday and you got someone going okay it's science day 12 foot wide you know thing with all this stuff what do i do and there's no book there's no uh thing that you know walks them through so it's always a, a unique talent well you know we they had at times they had those kind of books and instructions at the past, but I'm sitting here looking at a 1987 memo. We're so thrilled, we're so uh, lucky to have so much paper preserved. Dave, thanks for being with us today, but just tell me that in this digital age, that there are gonna be some digital memos preserved for us down the line so we know all the work that you and the rest of the team did. I, I hope so, I hope everyone's not deleting all their emails and they're backing up and, and filing and putting them in some system. Uh, it's, it's so much harder now because there used to be a memo and the hard copy. Now it's right. more one of these things where, you know, there's 8 million email chains and something, but uh, hopefully this stuff does get saved in archives. It'll be fun to, to revisit down the line. 
well, the historian and the archivist in me is begging all of you digital era guys and gals to keep <laughs> to hold on to yeah. your servers and your files. Anyway, but meanwhile, thanks so much for joining us today and and uh, again bringing bringing something from Gene's archives and Gene's file drawers uh, to life today because uh, the more things change, the more they don't, huh? I love it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Hey everybody, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment, of course, please do, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Yeah, that's me, at larrynimacek.com. Hey, that's where you can also link in for all of our new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.